You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. That was rough this weekend, I'm not going to lie. Watching that unfold, and there were so many other outcomes that you were hoping for, but you knew there were just little hints that you had seen before that you knew what you wanted to happen wasn't going to happen, right? Travesty. I mean, it, you knew that the thing that you wanted to take place deep down, the thing that you the what you wanted to happen, you knew that it wasn't going to, despite your best effort, despite you praying, despite you hoping that it was going to happen. And then, sure enough, the worst thing that possibly could happen, it surely does. It's inevitable. You know, just with the way that we've experienced things, you know that it's going to be the worst possible outcome that you could possibly ask for. We've seen this time and time again, injustice. And then at the end, all of a sudden, you hear Green Book is announced as the winner of Best Picture, and then you just throw your hands up, of course, right? Like, we didn't want that to happen. You knew that it was going to be a problem, and sure enough, Green Book wins the Oscar for Best Picture, and all of Twitter, especially Charlotte Hornets Twitter, everybody loses their mind because Green Book wins Best Picture. Out. It was a big problem that we had. We'll get to that more in the third segment. Also, I've got thoughts. Nets game, too. That was a big problem, I guess, as well, across Charlotte Hornets Twitter and across Twitter, that the Nets were able to beat Kemba Walker on a controversial no call. And perhaps this one got a little bit more people, uh, a little bit more angry, I should say. Um... Controversial no-call happens. Kimball Walker, D'Angelo Russell has an incredible fourth quarter. He had a great third, got a little bit icy at the beginning of the fourth, but then dominated down the stretch. I think scored 12 points in the last two minutes and 30 seconds of this game. He was phenomenal, but it came down to Kimball Walker going the length of the court and attempting a three-point shot. But while he was attempting it, Kimball Walker goes for the fake. He goes for the Dwayne Wade, the James Harden trying to draw the foul. Karis LeVert goes up, and then he comes down on Kimball Walker, and then that's where it gets a little hazy. No foul call. Everybody shocked. Even Kimba at the end of this game. Kimba, who has become somebody that argues every single call, just like all of the big stars do in the NBA. Kimba usually does that just shell-shocked staring at the sideline, not knowing what to do. The game was over, and the refs, they leave. They go pick up their stuff. Everybody's waiting for a call. Everybody's waiting to see if we just did not hear the whistle because it was such a loud environment. They all walk off of the court, and eventually the Charlotte Hornets lose see the guys. game. See guys. See guys. Refs are going home. They're done with that. They have no explanation. You heard James Borrego press conference said that he did not get an explanation on the missed call, and he was heated. We've seen him be as heated as I've ever seen him against Orlando before the All-Star break, and then he probably passed it with that no call. So, Doug, let me ask you first, with the question of foul or no foul, where do you side? Well, I'm I'm going to side with the NBA on this and say it was no foul. They did come out with the two-minute report and said that basically Karis LeVert's elbow, so Karis LeVert jumps in front of Kimba Walker and then legally blocks Walker's shot when his elbow makes contact with the ball and possibly his hand while it's in contact with the ball, which that's legal. If a player's hand is on the ball and you touch the hand, the hand is part of the ball. But when I watched the replay, I watched it a few times, and that's exactly what happened. Lavert jumps in front of him. Now, Walker does, again, what you said. Any star does and exaggerates 
you know, if he feels like it's even close to being contacted, you know, he's going to exaggerate it. But I mean, I, I think it was a it was a legal block, and it's frustrating because the Hornets lose another close game, a game in which they outscored the Brooklyn Nets in the last three quarters. And they still lost. Dug themselves into such a big hole. It was an ugly first quarter to start. And now you see the Hornets desperately kind of needing that game. Because now you have to face the Golden State Warriors tonight, even if it's at home. You're facing the Golden State Warriors. They're the best basketball team in the league. Some people would argue the best basketball team ever, ever, in the world, ever. 65 points in the second half the Charlotte Hornets scored. And lost by two. Not only do you have Golden State tonight, <laughs> you have the Houston Rockets next. And the Houston Rockets beat Golden State without James Harden. So you have those two teams. And then after that, on Friday, you got the Brooklyn Nets again. Who in two contests, you've seen the Hornets not be able to take care of business once in double overtime. And then once you just saw it here, they lose 117 to 115. Here's where I thought there was contact. I thought he got him with the hip. I thought that there was contact when Karis LeVert goes up with his lower body because he's up in the air trying to block it. He jumps, he goes with Kimba, and I thought he actually got Kimba with the lower body. He did block him with his elbow. I thought Del Curry and Gerald Henderson both did a good job of describing that Karis LeVert just got lucky that he blocked it with his elbow, that he got all ball. And Karis certainly, nobody, wants to block it with their elbow. I think he did get lucky in that regard. What was hilarious to see was... Dell was, you know, Eric was like, I'm calling a foul in that situation, which, of course, Eric Collins is going to side with the Charlotte Hornets. Dell, a little bit more objective, I feel like, in his analysis, usually. Dell Curry, he says that he thought it was the right no call. What was funny to me is in the postgame show with Ashley Shamity and Gerald Henderson, Ashley ask Gerald. First, first Gerald talks about it like, look, there's a lot of refs that would call it in that situation, so this one doesn't, and you know, that's just the way that the that it, the, it fell. That's just the way that it happened. And then Ashley was like, well, Gerald, do you think that it was a foul? And Gerald, you can caught not wanting to say a lie in what he feels, but also not wanting to go against the home broadcast. All he says again is he just repeats, you know, there's a lot of refs that would have called it. I, I think he did get it with his elbow, but there's a lot of refs. I think it was close. It was just funny you obviously knew Gerald Henderson did not think it was a foul and yet he didn't want to say it I thought there was contact lower body but that wasn't even my biggest problem to be honest with you I'm scrolling through it right now I'm going frame by frame here and I just I don't see that lower but it's close it's certainly close and and if you look at the sort of the basket cam the baseline cam then I see where you would get that. But when you look at the 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 camera the shot, side side camera it's not the side camera it's the one that's sort of off in the the far corner I mean, I just don't see his shot being influenced by Lavert's hip. But you know, he was—it it was a tough situation. Again, it's down to the the ball being in Kimball Walker's hands and looking for contact and not finding it. You know, also one real quick, it was also in the two minute report that Kimball Walker traveled, and Bobby Oops. and I, Bobby and I, argued this as well. So not only does that not fall for you, but there's something else punishable. Look, if they would have called a travel in that situation, I think we all would have deservedly lost it, especially with the way that Philadelphia game played out earlier this year, where Joel Embiid travels. Doesn't get the travel call, yeah, but does get the foul. Now we care about traveling right. two-minute Well, report. and especially, okay. And, and okay, this is also the league that tries to tell me Bradley Beal did not travel. But in here, here, they're going to tell me Kimball Walker traveled because his, he moves his pivot foot about a millimeter in space. But Bradley Beal, he lost control of the ball. So the seven steps that he took, that went to travel. Right. Allow me to approach that with some skepticism.
Yeah, oh, you watch, you know, James Harden do his, you know, right. four I mean, or five, uh, you know, please. shuffle step back. It's just, it's it's throwing, it's just throwing salt in the wound from the ref. Like, not only was it not a foul, but your boy Kimba even traveled, should have hit him for that. I told Bobby this morning on the wake-up call, I was like, that could have been, the only way that could have been a more Charlotte Hornets loss was if Kimba Walker hits that three, but they wave it off because Kimba Walker traveled. That's the only way that could have been worse. Okay, but we as fans and and we as people that watch a lot of Charlotte Hornets basketball know that the Charlotte Hornets uh, are not favored by fortune when they get down into these positions late in the game, close game. They just they just don't the, the the ball doesn't go in their direction in these in these type of situations. But we also know that the Hornets put themselves in that situation. They did not have to be there. They are not absolved. They are not absolved of responsibility with this. This is a team that I didn't think execute offensively. Defensively, look, they dug themselves in a hole. They have responsibility for allowing themselves to be in that situation. I just thought there weren't too many defenses out there that would have stopped D'Angelo Russell from doing what he did in the fourth quarter. Remember, we're talking about a guy that drove inside the paint, lost the basketball, throws his hands up, where Marvin played phenomenal defense. Once he picked him up in the paint, throws his hands up, loses complete control, and the basketball, it goes in the bucket. And so that was one that eventually helped them get that two-point lead at the end. D'Angelo also hits a three. I believe Del Curry thought there might have been a moving screen against or on MKG. MKG was trying. He was flailing his hand trying to get around the screen. Thought there there might have been some movement, and eventually D'Angelo just buries it. And I thought there was a couple times you could have called them for moving screens, but it was tic-tac-y, and so they called tic-tac-y fouls on Cody Zeller. I thought it was a poorly officiated game overall. My biggest problem at the end of the game is not with the refs. It's not with the refs doing that. I do have a problem with some things that Kimball Walker does late game. That okay. is something – it is, and I'll get to that here in the second segment. We appreciate you joining us here. We're giving you Daily Hornets Talk in your podcast feed. We need you to show your support by joining our Patreon page. For as little as $1 a month, you'll be supporting the content that you depend on. Go to patreon.com slash LOH. Stick around with us here. It's LOH on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. And Doug, don't you have an Eldon Campbell like stuffed animal type thing? Yes, I do. I got it at the last regular season home game that they had before they left for New Orleans. I, look, I love me some Eldon Campbell, but is that, is they, that the they were just they were clearing everything out of the house because it was whatever they gave to the fans that night. They didn't have to take with them to New Orleans. Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com. Andy Bailey coming through with a tweet yesterday. Mahershala Ali was ahead of his time. During his four seasons at St. Mary's, he took 183-point attempts and 131-two-point attempts. Did you see any of the video circulating Twitter of Mahershala Ali playing basketball at St. Mary's? Best just, supporting player. Just <laughs> just a hellion out there. Now, it showed his numbers. I think it was somebody that averaged like 3.1 points per game. But defensively, you could hear the announcers giving him a lot of credit. So Mahershala Ali, a baller, and also a baller in the movie biz. His second Best Supporting Actor award that he's gotten in the last three years. One for Moonlight, which I thought he was just phenomenal in. Haven't seen Green Book. Everybody hates that Green Book won Best Picture, including you, Doug, who we'll talk about a little bit more in the segment three. Saving it! But 
Mahershala Ali ball, and, and I thought it was pretty cool to see him win his second Best Supporting Actor. It seemed like everybody was cool with that, just not the overall movie of Green Book. So, Kimball Walker, we talked about the late game antics that happen in that game against the Brooklyn Nets. Kimball Walker looks for the foul, doesn't get it, and eventually the Nets win by two points, 117 to 115. Doug, we've talked about this. We talked about it when they lost against the Atlanta Hawks. And the Atlanta Hawks, Kent Bazemore drives down the lane, pretty easy, easy layup. They take the lead. And we remember Kimball Walker going down the other end of the floor, shooting the basketball inside the paint, looking for a foul call. And Dwayne Dedman gets up there. I believe it gets blocked at that moment. We've seen Kimba time and time again try to go to the paint, look for a shot, then look for the foul. It seems like Kimba Walker is more worried about hearing the whistle than he is with looking for a decent shot enough to where he can try to get a good look. It just—it seems like he's looking for the foul more than he's looking for a good look. And you see it constantly when he drives in the paint. And the one time that he's going to settle for a three-pointer, Kimba fakes it. Karis LeVert, he almost gets him. I mean, Karis got lucky on that block. Let, let's say for this purpose that it was a block, and a lot of people agree, and I'm cool with that. Karis, let's say that he gets the block. It was a good effort for Kimba to at least try to draw that foul in that scenario. Doug, it just seems to me that Kimba constantly looks to hear the whistle blown, and refs swallow their whistles in these late-game situations. I remember a Reggie Miller comment one time. We all know the highlight of Reggie coming around a screen, shoving Michael out of the play, catching the basketball, turning around for a three-pointer. So he shoves it. It's in the playoffs. It's you, you would remember it if you saw it. Reggie talks about that play saying, look, my whole goal was I was going to shove Michael Jordan out of the gym. It was on purpose. It was absolutely a foul. But the refs aren't going to call it because the refs swallow their whistles in these late game situations. Now, if it's James Harden, if it's a LeBron, it, it's not completely extinct. You see those type of calls happen every once in a while. But it's just too rare for me to constantly bank on trying to hear the whistle every time in late game situations. And Doug, I see that too much from Kimba. It doesn't it doesn't mean that Kimba's not the best player in Charlotte Hornets history. It doesn't mean that he didn't have a phenomenal second half to get them back in it and come back from that deficit. You've heard it from me a couple of times this season. I have a problem with the way that we have this execution with Kimba Walker going towards the paint and looking for a foul rather than looking for a legitimate good look. Yeah, and you've heard it from Del Curry as well during the commentary. He's mentioned uh, multiple times this season instances where Kimba Walker uh, wanted a foul and was very uh, uh, boisterous uh, in, in, his, in his attitude towards the referees and wasn't getting back on defense or anything like that. There are these moments. It is it is one tiny flaw in what has been an amazing season for Kimball Walker, an all-star season for Kimball Walker. And he he has a lot on his shoulders uh when it comes to this team. And and they but they need him desperately during that time uh not to draw a foul. They need him to score. <laughs> because look, the, the referees are not calling these fouls. The, the the Hornets have to find some other way to put points on the board in these late game situations because it's not coming at the foul line. I looked at some of the players in the NBA that are best at drawing fouls. Joel Embiid is amazing. I don't think gets enough credit for that. He's among the he was the league leader last year, I believe. He's like third 
this season and fouls drawn per 36 minutes. Of course, James Harden is up there. I mean, you, you've got some of the usual guys, the usual suspects that you would expect to see up there. Kemba's not. And so I'm not here to tell you that the refs don't treat Kemba Walker, or I'm not here to tell you, excuse me, that the refs do treat Kemba Walker with the same respect as they do some of these other stars. Because I don't think they do. I think there are times where Kemba gets clobbered and he doesn't get the foul call. But Doug, with 25 games left to go in the season, at this point 23, and he's still not getting them, and we've seen instances of this before, what happened against the Nets on Saturday night, that was nothing new to us. We have seen that a few times already this season. Look for the good shot. Yeah, what point do you have to accept the reality of the situation that that you've been given? You're you are not treated like LeBron James. You're not treated like James Harden. You're not treated like Russell Westbrook. Okay, that's the reality. Whether you think you should be treated that way or not, you are not. And and I think there is a uh, there there's something to be said for adjusting your game accordingly for doing what it takes or what it doesn't take to win basketball games. James Borrego in his post-game press conference after the game, extremely heated and spent all of his commentary on the refs and basically the late-game situation. Rod Boone talked with him on the wake-up call earlier this morning and was discussing the fact that this has been a team all season long, that not even from Kimball Walker, they weren't talking about it from a Kimball Walker standpoint. They've been discussing this as a team standpoint, where they just don't get a whole lot of calls. Rod Boone brought up the small market factor. James Borrego in the post-game press conference brought up that it's been extremely frustrating all season long. You know, I thought that was a little interesting. Uh, I didn't expect Borrego to discuss all of these games that it's happened. We can all go back to the Philadelphia game. You know, I, I Rod Boone's comments about the team being small market and maybe not getting enough love like maybe some other big teams do, you know, I feel like Charlotte does have a lot of games where maybe they should be called for a little bit more fouls, but still, it's just, I mean, this is just a season-long thing where it's nothing new to the Hornets. This is how we have to deal with things because the Hornets constantly lose these one-possession games as Nada hates to hear that stat constantly. Hornets 15th in the league in uh, free throw attempts per game, which... You know, a lot of that is how how much are you attacking the basket? How much are you putting yourself in a position to be fouled? Uh, but you could still, I mean, you could be top 10 in the league in free throw attempts and still feel like you are not getting calls. <laughs> right. And especially in in crunch time, are you getting I would, and we'd like, particular calls? I'd like to see that filter, you know, where like if we can see at the end of game situations, how many times are the Hornets going to the free throw line compared to other teams in the NBA. Well, and we have been traditionally accustomed to the Charlotte Hornets being number one, two, three in free throw attempts because that's how Steve Clifford structured yeah. part of his offense. It's clear It's clear either that they have restructured the offense to a point where there isn't as much focus on getting to the free throw line or there is some giant you know, conspiracy bias against the Charlotte Hornets. Let's start. See, that's what we should do. We should turn this show into the info wars of Charlotte Hornets basketball. There's a giant conspiracy <laughs> against the Charlotte Hornets. Can you to feel keep it? Them off the free throw line. Can't you see it? It's obvious. And you saw it again Saturday night. We're coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit of Oscars. Also, a couple of new starting lineups that we saw. And if you want to, we can talk about the Golden State game tonight. I'd rather not, but we'll see. It's LOH here, Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked on Hornets. You know, Golden State 
spent almost a minuscule amount of time with zero of their starters out on the floor. They had at least one out there the entire they just time. Have four Hall of Famers. Yeah, they do. And so <laughs> you just you put just them have, anywhere. You just have one out Stack there. Stack them up. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Please listen carefully. Surprising to see the Hornets decide to go with a different starting lineup post-All-Star break. James Borrego had some time to think about it a little bit with a week off and decides to put rookie Miles Bridges in the starting lineup, put him at the three, move Nick Batum to the shooting guard spot, and Jeremy Lamb is relegated back to the bench. Now, I don't know if you view that as a relegation. I guess technically it is, but now Nick... I think Lamb does. I'm sure he does. And so now he did a good job in that first game, and James Borrego gave him a lot of credit for coming off the bench, acknowledging that it's not all that easy to put and be put in that situation after starting all season long. But how'd you like the starting lineup from what we saw in that game against the Wizards on Friday? Got to see him against the Nets. I thought it worked well in some spaces. I think it worked well uh, in the Wizards game for sure. I don't know if you really saw much of an effect to, uh, against Brooklyn because they they got housed in that in that first quarter. But I mean, you like the idea, right? Getting Miles Bridges in there to give them uh, some excitement and energy, especially defensively. But honestly, I just like it from the perspective of you got to do something to shake things up because what else is going to change? They tried to trade half the roster, couldn't do anything about it. So what uh, really like what was left except for a starting lineup change and and I'm glad to see them doing something as opposed to just treading water for the rest of the season. Well, and even against Washington, they didn't get off to a good start. And so both of those teams, right? They didn't get off to good starts and maybe that argues against putting that new starting lineup out there but you did see Nick Batum go for 17 in the first half against Washington Nick Batum hit four three-pointers in this game against the Nets I think you've seen a more aggressive Nick Batum 11 attempts against Brooklyn as well yeah absolutely I to me when I first heard about it I didn't think oh this is a statement about Jeremy Lamb or this is a statement about Miles Bridges I honestly thought wait a minute are we finally admitting that Nick Batum at the three was a bad idea? You know, Nick Batum tried this offseason through his Twitter account to tell us that playing the three was going to be better for him, that he was going to be a new Nick Batum. And I think it was fair to at least predict that Nick Batum would have a better season than he did last year because he would go to his quote-unquote natural position at the three, like he played in Portland, like Steve Clifford had him play at least that first season that he was here with the Charlotte Hornets. But it didn't work out at the two the last couple of seasons didn't work again at the three this season and so it's more of a Nick Batum problem maybe than just what position you put him I just go back to that article that Rick Bennell wrote on the Charlotte Observer when he was interviewing Nick Batum after we kind of were at peak criticism for him you know there there's been a lot of peak criticisms but we certainly were at one point where Rick Bennell has that article come out and one little subtle comment that he has at the end of, I believe, one of his answers would have been towards the end of the piece. He does say that Jeremy Lamb being implemented in the starting lineup, it's a little bit different because more opportunities are going towards Lamb because he's been a better scorer. And also Nick acknowledges that's fine, like Jeremy Lamb had been doing better, but he says that's just been a little different for me. And you know, and that's two straight seasons, by the way, because he had the same complaint about Dwight Howard. And so now here's <laughs> Nick Batum wants to be the second guy to Kimball Walker, not the third guy like Jeremy Lamb was that Jeremy Lamb made him be when he was in the starting lineup. And that was a comment, but I 
you know, if it makes Nick play like he has, he wasn't terribly efficient against Brooklyn. He was from beyond the arc. But still, I, I like what you've seen from Nick Batum more than I did, certainly, in his previous games playing in a different position. Yeah, I mean, you need something to happen where you don't have to depend on 21 points from Tony Parker off the bench and and these other type of things to happen but you can't have one for th- one for three from Jeremy Lamb off the bench in in 19 minutes that's yeah, not that going to work bad. as well and then you had Miles Bridges uh pulling the the MKG start of 12 minutes you know in a start that's that's interesting as well like is this really are we really starting Miles Bridges or are we doing the thing that the Hornets have done for years now and, and elevating <laughs> someone, back, but not really elevating. Going back to Steve Clifford's exact regime, we're going back to the same exact way that Steve Clifford wanted to coach this team. Fascinating. Uh, Malik Monk not played well in the last couple games. His minutes have gotten shortened, only had seven minutes against Brooklyn, only 12, I believe, against Washington. Didn't get much opportunity to do anything against Brooklyn. Washington was not a good game for him. Like I, I mentioned this Friday, Doug, when I did the show solo, that he is the Hornet with the most pressure on him to perform the next 25 games this season which is what it was at the time of that episode being aired and you see what he's done the last couple games it's been a hot and cold Malik certainly nobody that you can completely write off yet but you certainly would like to have some confidence heading into next season well maybe but these last 25 games are only going to matter for Malik Monk if the Hornets matter if the Hornets are in the playoff chase and Malik Monk is able to get some minutes and play well then I'm encouraged but Malik Monk played really well yeah. in, the, in the last section of the Hornets season last season when they were completely out of it, and he was getting a ton of minutes. I don't want to see Malik Monk do well with 25, 30 minutes a game. I want to see Malik Monk do well with 19, 18, 20 they minutes have to be, a game. They have to be relevant minutes. And yeah. I think last year I was cool with him coming off of the bench and lighting it up in garbage time and, and time that really didn't matter. Like It was just good to see the ball go through the hoop. For Malik Monk last season we need to take a step up and I completely agree with you the good news is I don't think the Hornets are going to be in a position where they completely fall off and they're going to be out of playoff contention you know I think at least they have played themselves into playoff contention enough where every game is going to be pretty relevant I I'd, it'd be hard for me to see them falling off so badly like wouldn't you have to lose probably about what seven eight games in a row where other teams are onto a very hot start as well. I just think they're going to be in playoff contention the whole time, but I hope Malik Monk is able to figure it out. Oscar, the Academy the Academy itself wasn't able to figure out, I guess, that Green Book wasn't the right movie, Doug. Now, I haven't seen many of these, but I know you and a lot of other people had a problem with Green Book coming away with Best Picture. Yeah, I tweeted this. Uh, I think Green Book is a theme park racial politics. Um, I, I think it's it's sort of... It's uh, it's sort of a racial politics movie that's that's uh, tries to make everyone feel better and that we've somehow solved racism and it just to me is is the kind of movie that used to win Oscars and I thought after Moonlight and Shape of Water that the Academy had had grown up recognized the social tumult that that movies were trying to speak to and and award those movies uh, for that and it seems to have taken a step back I thought there were far better pictures that were more beautiful that took uh, riskier chances and, and some that were just that were radical and I think it spoke to the times that could have won best picture and didn't uh, so here we are how uncomfortable is Bradley Cooper's girlfriend feeling today oh my how uncomfortable was I feeling during <laughs> yeah, that no, my I, goodness I, that was intimate up Smooch. there at that piano do it I, I thought they were going to at some Smooch. point at some point they get so close I thought there was going to be lip contact I 
I mean, it they was, know what they're doing. Listen, these people are trained actors and, and they're trained me. performers. And that was a very intimate movie. I think they know exactly what they're doing. And listen, if there's anyone that knows how to create a headline, create buzz off of her performance, it's Lady Gaga. So don't tell me that Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper didn't get together and say, here's what we're going to do. Let's get the wifey and and whoever. I don't know if Lady Gaga is with someone right now, but let's get them to sign off on this. We're going to go ahead and get permission slips, but we're going to get permission slips <laughs> is, is there written, for, for is there these lists. documentation out there? Yeah, totally. They need uh, a hall pass, I'll tell you that much. Girl, girl, girlfriend sitting between them, though, that was a little weird. Uh, why, if it's not a big deal, then why aren't Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper sitting next to each other? Why is she sitting next it's to the Hollywood, girlfriend? Hollywood, baby. It's Hollywood. Because the girlfriend's splitting that up. Hollywood. She's not having that. Mahershala Ali takes home Best Supporting Actor. Rami Malek wins Best Actor. Olivia Coleman wins Best Actress. Any other quarrels that you have with any of those awards? Uh, well, first of all, Best Director, Alfonso Cuaron for Roma. I thought Roma was the best picture. Alfonso Cuaron, the obvious choice for me for Best Director. Um, and that was a little bit of a surprise, right? Didn't, well, it was leaked that maybe Yogo Larenthos, is that his name? Or I forget how you say it. Lanthimos, but, yeah, Lanthimos. for the favorite. It could have. And, and they could have gone with Spike Lee for Black Klansman and sort of the, the thing that the Academy does sometimes where they give sort of lifetime achievement awards in the form of best director or best actress. Or Did that happen actor. with Spike with his Oscar? Well, so that could, it could have. Well, he got so he got an Oscar for writing. Uh, which was funny because it was four people, including Spike, and Spike was the only one to <laughs> right. was the only one to speak. And it's like, look, if you write something with Spike, just enjoy the yeah. statue, fellas. Yeah. Yeah. You're not gonna get to you're not gonna get to thank anyone. Oh, you think they're gonna go away from the Golden Jordans and away from him jumping in Samuel L. Jackson's arms? No, okay, it, no, it was an amazing moment. I love it. It was it was pure Spike. Um, and uh, but but listen, Black Klansman was not his masterpiece, despite what. Barbara Streisand says uh, during the ceremony, "It's not his masterpiece. It was a it was a good movie, um, but Spike's done better in the past. Adapted screenplay, I'm fine with that. That's what he won for. Uh, my the big uh, travesty, other than Green Book for me, is that Bohemian Rhapsody won for best editing. I, to me, it was like of of the films that were nominated for best. That's picture, a nerd quarrel." It, well, it's a, yeah, it's a quarrel that not many people are going to have. <laughs> it's a quarrel that I have as an editor. It was not a well-edited movie. There were just better movies, uh, you know. So that's my biggest travesty. That's your, it's 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 awful. No what happened in the editing that, category? The hey, let me also on the dunk contest. I have this to say. <laughs> right. Thanks for listening to Lockdown Hornets here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lockdown Hornets, and you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Lockdown Hornets. Hopefully, the damage is limited tonight against the Golden State Warriors. We'll be here tomorrow to recap all of that next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Stack them up. Ooh.